The real question is not, did I, Kip hear me a thousand times, or did he ever listen? And I don't think that he did, so I can't really blame him for that. I think my wife and uh, my daughter have to leave now, and that's always encouraging when you get up to speak and your family walks out on you. <laughs> just wants you to just kind of keep going, but that's okay. Yeah, I love you too, Kim. And uh, first of all, Kathy and I'd like to thank you at Antioch for the encouragement you've been to our kids. And uh, it's been exciting to see the church start and their involvement in it and all the things that they've done. And it's just, uh, as parents, there's nothing more exciting than seeing your kids, you know, follow the Lord and uh, be involved in church fellowship. So we want to thank you for that encouragement. We'd also like to thank you for the employment you've given to them. Uh, Since they rent from us, it's really... (laughs) It's really nice to know that they have a job and, uh, and, and have some income coming in. So, Well, tonight is uh, New Year's Eve, and just in case you didn't know that, I thought I'd let you know. And I read about a couple that was getting ready to go out to a New Year's Eve party. And so they had turned the uh, nightlight on in their house. They turned on their answering machine. Uh, you know, they had uh, covered their pet parakeet's cage and uh, turned on their answering machine and uh, put their cat out in the backyard. And As they were getting ready to leave, they phoned the local cab company and asked the taxi to come and pick them up. And when the taxi arrived, they opened the front door of their house, and on the way out of the house, the cat runs back in. And so the wife, you know, decides, she goes out to the taxi, and she decides she doesn't want the um, taxi cab uh, driver to know that their house is going to be empty. So she gets to the taxi, she just basically says, "Uh, my husband's back, Um, he's going to go upstairs and say goodbye to, uh, to my mother. And so a few minutes later, he gets into the taxi cab, and he tells a story. He says, sure, I took so long. She was hiding under the bed. I had to poke her with a coat hanger a couple of times for her to come out. She tried to take off again, so I grabbed her by the neck. Then I had to wrap her in a blanket to keep her from scratching me. But it all worked out. I hauled her downstairs and threw her out into the backyard. Then it said this, the cab driver hit a parked car. And... Uh, So hopefully that's not your experience tonight. You know, when you think of the new year, you think of starting over. The skit was really good. The first time I'd seen it was this morning. It's a really good skit on the idea that we have a new year, and normally in a new year we start over. And we think of some things. What can I do different this year that I didn't do last year? Uh, How many of you make New Year's resolutions? Can I see? You know, how many of you make those? Great. Uh, You know, the most common New Year's resolution is probably what? Yeah, weight loss. I have some guys that I work with. And, uh, and they're going on what they call, on January 2nd, they're going to start this thing they call the cleansing. And it's some kind of concoction this guy came up with, with like Tabasco sauce and all kinds of stuff. They drink it like three times a day. And I guess it just like cleans you out. Like seriously, you take this stuff and like an hour later you are like, you know, in big serious trouble. And so at, at, at work, we've been taking bets on how long they're going to last. <laughs> I think one guy's like, I don't think he'll go more than a day. One day he'll be, he'll be off this cleansing. And so I, I, this friend of mine, he's on this. I, I'm going to make him a little cleansing kit. Big diaper. You know, I've got all kinds of crazy ideas. I've got kind of a sick mind. So you know, I, I've got this all figured out, how I'm, gonna, like, I'm just going to be all over this. But I can't wait for this to happen. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. And we're just going to just have a great time with these guys. But that's usually what we do, you know, New Year's resolution, 
and we come up with some crazy idea that we're going to start and do something a little different this year. Well, this morning, I want you to think about steps for making a New Year's resolution in your spiritual life. You know, so often we think about so many areas we could start over in. You know, we think about, yeah, you know, I need to lose some weight. I need to get in better shape. Um, I need to spend some more time, you know, with the family in some different areas. May I need to work a little harder at work. And we have all these areas of our life that we think about making a resolution to do something different in. And one area I think sometimes we forget is our spiritual life. So I want us to look at a passage in Philippians. Uh, Philippians is a great book. It's a book based on, the, on joy. Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi from, uh, from Rome when he's in jail. And it's all a book that deals with, hey, how to, how to have a joyful relationship with God. And so I want you to turn to, if you have a Bible, uh, Philippians chapter 3. And it's a great context there. In Philippians 3, Paul has just made an amazing statement. He basically said this. He said, if you could get to heaven by being good, by following a strict list of do's and don'ts, he said, I'd be there. He makes a statement. He says, as for legalistic righteousness, Paul said, I'm faultless. I mean, what a statement. If you could get there by being good, if you could get there by following the law to the letter of the law, every bit of it, he said, I'm faultless when it comes to that. But he goes on in that chapter and he says, you know how I look at my legalistic good works? He says, it's garbage. It's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. So in that context of saying, you know, you can't get there by being good. You can't get there by, by following a list of do's and don'ts. Because if you could, I would be faultless. He goes into this passage, I think, that's going to give to us three steps for making New Year's resolution. And it's found there in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And so we're going to look at how to make some New Year's resolution, uh, resolutions in our spiritual life. Here's the first one. Step number one. Three steps. Step number one is this. Never be satisfied with the present. Look what he says in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. The word perfect there literally means to reach one's end or to become mature or complete. Do you realize what he's saying here? Paul's saying, I haven't reached spiritual maturity yet. I haven't arrived. I haven't got there yet. I have a ways to go in my walk with Christ. You know, by this time, I did a little little uh, timeline on Paul's life. And if he comes to Christ in Acts chapter 9, most you know, Bible scholars and people who write about those kind of things put that about A.D. 35. And he wrote the book of Philippians in A.D. 61. So it's basically around 25 to 26 years later from his conversion to Christianity to when he's writing this letter. So here's Paul who's been a believer for 25 years, who's wrote a third or two-thirds of the New Testament saying, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I haven't reached maturity in my Christian life. About a month ago, some of you might have heard this, about a month ago, I had a minor heart attack, if there is such a thing as a minor heart attack. And uh, I was at school. I work at a boarding school for high school guys out in Sisters, and we were at a gym, and we were, you know, playing hockey and doing a bunch of crazy activities and stuff. And then at the end, this kid... He kept wanting to play me one-on-one, and he kept talking smack to me. You know, I'm put you down, Kelly, you know, and they call me Grandpa, you know. And he's, so I said, come on, let's get it over with, you know. And so I'm playing this kid, and I'm having this heart attack. Okay. And so about halfway, you know, it's tied three to three. And I just said, you know, and I, I tell so I'm not feeling good right now. 
I didn't really tell him that. I said, you know, guys are waiting. We need to go. Let's get, we'll go back. And he goes, what? Jones is 3-3. Come on. I go, nah, nah. Let's, we'll finish it another time. So I get back to school, and we have these things called group, where you call group, and everybody groups up, and you talk about issues. So we call a group, and, and I can tell I'm not doing well here. Something's wrong. And so he starts off, and he says, I'd just like to thank everybody who played basketball tonight. I had a really good time. And he said, and I just don't understand Kelly, man. Totally disrespected me because we were tied 3-3. He knew I was going to win, so he just called the game, man. He said he just called it. Well, then, you know, I told my buddy, I, I, I got to leave, you know. So I, I go to the doctor, and I'm in the hospital a couple days. And so I come back to work, and this kid's feeling really bad. <laughs> I loved it. You know, he's not feeling good at all. Okay. And so I walk in, and he goes, man, man, Kelly, man, I'm so sorry. And I said, hey, his name's Zach. I said, Zach, I want you to think about something. I said, the score was tied 3-3, and I was having a heart attack. <laughs> Just think if I was feeling good, dude. I'd destroy you, you know. I'd be all over you. And he starts, oh, wow, man, I never thought about that. Yeah, I loved it. I played that one for a long time. But, you know, Paul's point here is this. Paul's saying, hey, after 25 years of being a believer, I'm not there yet. Then where does that put us? If Paul, who, who wrote the new, a lot of the New Testament, who knew Christ, who had that experience on the Damascus Road, who in 2 Corinthians said he got caught up into the third heaven and saw things he couldn't even write about, who experienced so much with God using him in so many miraculous ways, after 25 years of being a believer would say, I haven't reached maturity yet in my Christian life. I still got a ways to go. Then I I I always thought, like, where does that put me? You know, Warren Wiersbe wrote a great little book on the book of Philippians, called Be Joyful, and here's what he says. He says, a sanctified dissatisfaction is the first essential to a progress in the Christian life. A sanctified dissatisfaction is the first essential to progress in the Christian life. You know, something I've noticed, I've been a believer, I've figured it out, it's kind of scary, but um, I've been a believer for 46 years. I came to Christ in, when I was six years old. been going to church my whole life, went to Christian college. And I can honestly say that there's so many times I look in over my life that I've hit that plateau where I've stayed there for a long time. Or maybe I got satisfied, or even I got lazy. There's times I could say I got stagnant. You all know what stagnant water smells like, don't you? Not a pretty sight. So what do I need to do to keep moving? Well, look what he says in verse 12. He starts off and he says, I have not already obtained all this or have been made perfect. Then he says this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And Paul, I love Paul because I used to get in trouble all the time for using too many sports analogies. But Paul was a sports fan. He would have loved ESPN. He'd have been all over that. And I really know he would have loved football if he would have had it. It's a great picture. This is me when I was, no, I, I wish I could say that. But, this is Reggie Bush, and if you know him, he's a tremendous athlete. This is when he played at USC. He's unbelievable when it comes to jumping. And even this year in the NFL, how many of you saw him that time in that game? We jumped over like five people, yeah, like six feet in the air into the end zone. And the analogy Paul uses here is this track runner who's pressing to reach that finish line. You've seen that in the Olympics when they lean forward at the end. They're just trying to get there with everything they have. And, and that's what Paul says. Paul says, guess what? I press on. I am trying my best. I am giving my very best effort 
to moving on in my Christian life. And so the question this morning is, are you satisfied with your present spiritual condition? You know, if the problem of being satisfied can hit a Christian, you can imagine what it can do to churches. First church of the status quo. I've seen that. What's great about Antioch here is you never hear it. You never hear this. We've always done it that way. Isn't that right, Ken? That's just a great line. And you never hear like, you know, if it doesn't work, what do you do? You change it. Doesn't work this week? Well, that, that, that didn't work at all. Next week you do something different. And that's what's great. Because churches get stuck in a rut too. And so what's great about Antioch is being brand new is that, you know, everything you do is new. Every week I'm sure there's something new you try that you didn't do the week before. And my challenge to you as a church is to keep doing that. Keep changing. You get stuck in a rut, then things get status quo, then things start to get stagnant. And so step number one, never be satisfied with the present. Then he gives us step number two. Second step for making a New Year's resolution, he says, don't be a slave to your past. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And again, Paul, being the sports fan, has this picture of a track runner focused on the finish line, straining with all they have to get down that line, that, that track, to the very end, giving it their very best effort. I remember when I was in high school, we used to have pep assemblies. And uh, when I went to high school, I went to North Eugene High School over in the Valley. We only had, you know, you had a senior class, a junior class, and a sophomore class. And we had junior high in those days, and so ninth grade was... Uh, was there, and we had a pep assembly, and it was a challenge between the, the sophomores, the, the juniors, and the seniors. And, and so what they did was they had a race. And so we had a guy that represented the senior class and the junior class and the sophomore class, and they blindfolded them, and the race was just to get to the other end of the gym. And everybody's screaming and yelling, and, and, and my buddy, Dan Smith, he's a, he was a senior. He, he was representing the senior class. And, and, and Smith was one of these crazy guys that only knew how to do everything full speed. So he's totally blindfolded. And they go, go. And he takes off full speed. Well, he doesn't know where he's going. So he heads down the gym, and pretty soon he starts making this curve. And the bleachers are going up. And you've seen, like, high school bleachers in a gym. And he hits that first bleacher right at the, right at the ankles. And it just <laughs> catapults him, like, ten rows up. And we're all going, yeah, Smith, woo! But he lost. Because the other kids are, you know, doing the kind of the, I'm going straight. But Smith, full speed, dude, right into the gym. Just killed, broke his legs. But, you know, that's what we do so often is we, we head off so fast, but we don't know where we're going. And we start maybe looking behind us. And we get, you know, sidetracked from things around us. And so the problem we have is sometimes is that we look back. And we get distracted by our past. If you do a study about in the Bible, you're going to find that there's a great problem when God tells people to go forward, but they want to look back. You study that out, and you're going to find some great examples of that. I was thinking through that this past week. And, for example, remember Lot's wife in Genesis 19? The angels tell Lot and his family, leave Sodom. Get out of there. And don't look back. And what does Lot's wife do? She looks back. What happens to her? She turns into a pillar of salt. In a church where I was pastor once, we had a clock in the back, 
And one time I came on a Sunday and I was up there and I looked at the clock and somebody put a sign on this clock that said, remember Lot's wife, don't look back. Which I thought was a kind of a hit at me for going on too long. I wasn't really sure, you know, why that was there. But there's Lot's wife. God said, hey, leave. Go forward. Get out of there. She looked back. You think of the children of Israel in Exodus 14, and God told them to leave Egypt. And so Moses leads all of these people, a couple million people, out of Egypt. And they get up to the Red Sea. Remember that? And then all of a sudden, you know, they hear that Pharaoh's army's coming. And they turn and they, they look back. And they see Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. And what do they start doing? Whining. And they have all kinds of whining going on. For example, they said like, um, let me find it here. Didn't we tell you to leave us there in Egypt? You know, there's one guy's job I never would have wanted, that's Moses. He had the worst job ever. Three million complaining people for 40 years. How much fun would that have been? Think about it. It's the worst job ever he had. If there's any injustice, and I know God is totally just, I think Moses, in my own human, and I'm not God, so you know, don't get mad at me, but he kind of got ripped off by not getting into the promised land. I mean, you know, he, he did the wrong thing with the water, and, and because of that, you know, God said, you're not getting in. But man, he had to deal with these people for 40 years. And they whined, and they whined, and they whined. And they, and they looked back and saw, saw Pharaoh's army instead of, what, looking ahead and seeing God's deliverance. And I think in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 4.10, there was this man named Demas, who, who Paul had, had written about before that God had used him um, as a fellow worker. But then in chapter 4, verse 10 of 2 Timothy, Paul said, Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. In other words, Demas looked back at the world, and it looked too attractive, and he left Paul in the ministry and went back to the world went back to his old ways. And so I think about sometimes that we're a slave to our past. We're always, focus, we're always focusing in the wrong direction instead of looking ahead. I'm going to give you two areas of our past that can keep us in slavery. The first area is the failures of, of our past. Too many of us are held in bondage by the failures or the bad things or the sins that we've done that have happened to us in the past. Or maybe things that have been, you know, been done to us. I'll never forget, I was at Promise Keepers, and one of the speakers was this man named James uh, Ryle. And he was a pastor from uh, Colorado. And he told the story of his life, how that when he was young, like seven, eight, nine years old, his father left him and his mom. And his father uh, went off and lived a crazy life and, and, and got caught for doing something illegal and was incarcerated in prison for a, a period of time. And, and as Ryle grew up into high school, he got into trouble and more trouble with the law. And he eventually ended up going to jail for a period of time. And in that jail experience, he came to know Christ and got out of jail and went on. And now he's a pastor and, 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 uh, in the ministry. And about 10 or 15 years after he became a believer, he decided he needed to make it right with his dad because he had so much anger built up with his dad. So he got a hold of his father and they set up a meeting and they got together. And him and his dad sat down and as they were talking, his, he's telling his dad about his life experience, about how he went to jail. And his dad goes, what jail did you go to? What wing of that jail were you in? And his dad said this. His dad goes, I was a welder. He said, and I was incarcerated. He said, I made all of the, uh, um, sl all the metal on the windows for that jail in that wing that you were in. What a weird story. 
His dad made the jail that he was in. And then Ryle said this. Ryle said, don't let your past hold you in jail. And I've thought about that. So often things in our past, things that have happened to us, things that maybe weren't even our fault, maybe things that we did that we feel bad about, hold us back and keep us in jail. Jesus said, which is a great quote, he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The Christian life is a life of freedom. It's a life where the past has been taken care of by the death of Christ on the cross. And you're set free to look into the future and to have all that God has for you. What's sad sometimes is the way we treat people because so often we keep them in slavery. We keep them in slavery by not willing to forgive them for things that they've done to us. Or maybe we just don't forgive them and they didn't do anything to us. Maybe they just did something and we just can't forgive. And we hold it against them by how we treat them and how we act toward them. And all of that is things of the past. And that kind of slavery will hold us back in our Christian life. So one of the ways that we can um, keep us in slavery is failures of the past. The other one's exactly opposite of that, is the successes of the past. You know, it's so easy as a Christian to rest on our past accomplishments. It's so easy to do that. You know, I believe God always asks us this question. What have you done for me lately? I think that's the question that God asks. It's so often in our Christian life, we look at it like a resume. What do you do on your resume? You put down what you've done in the past. You put down where you went to school, the degrees that you had, the awards maybe that you've won. You put down all of your past experiences. And when your employer gets your resume, he looks it over and he reads it because what's he, he looks at that as your past, trying to realize, can this person, because of their experiences in their past, help me in my future? But so often as believers, we're always talking about, well, I remember when I did this. I remember when I witnessed to this person. I remember, and, and we're throwing out things we did in the past. And it was exciting to hear Fred talked about his business, about how he, his business is what? Thinking about the future. How can I what? Reach people for Christ. And so I came to realize a long time ago that I'd rather wear out than rust out. And God has something for me to do continually in my life. And so don't allow those two areas to hold you back. So don't be a slave to the past. Thirdly, look what he says. Never be satisfied with the present. Don't be a slave to the past. And then the third step, stay focused on the prize. Verse 14. Paul said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, the goal is what? It's to win. Win the prize. Again, the picture Paul uses is a track runner crossing the finish line. And he strains with all of his might as he crosses the finish line. The goal, if you run, is to win. How many of you are competitive? Okay. Yeah, I am too. I'll never forget a church softball game at a church picnic. I'm pitching. And this little girl, she's like maybe nine years old, is up. And I'm throwing the ball, trying to, you know, trying to hit her bat. You know how that is. And she finally hits this little pop-up, little fly ball between me and the shortstop. And the shortstop comes in, and he's going, like he's trying to catch it, and he lets it drop. I pick it up and chase this little girl <laughs> down the first baseline 
in front of my whole church. And as I tag her out, right before she touches first base, and I go, yeah. I look up to everybody's going, what? I realize what a mistake that was. They're going, what are you doing? From then on, I'd always say, I'm not competitive. No, not me. You know, the problem today is we get rewarded so often just for participation instead of trying to win. I remember when, when Kip moved out. It was a great day. No, <laughs> And uh, Kathy, our prayers are answered. Thank you, Jesus. You know, no. I remember when Kip moved out and we were packing up his room. He had so many trophies. He had basketball trophies. He had football trophies. He had a ton of baseball trophies. And as we're putting these baseball trophies away, I remember I started laughing because I thought about this. He never won a championship ever. He never did. I know I was his coach. I was so glad they don't fire little league coaches like they do everybody else. We never won ever. And he had so many trophies. Because remember... If you're on the team, you get what? You get a trophy. When I was growing up, you get a trophy if you won. Everybody else didn't get anything. We just had to live with it, you know. And we have trophies everywhere. All our kids, all these trophies, just for participation. But I want you to keep in mind, the goal of the Christian life is to win. Paul said almost the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, run in such a way as to get the prize. Run to win. My father passed away, I think, 15, 16 years ago. And uh, after he passed away, my brother and I got together, and, and we were planning his uh, memorial, and, and I was going to share a couple things. And so we sat down and made a list of what we learned from our father. We came up with like three or four things that we learned from our dad. And one of the things that was on our list that we both totally agreed on was we learned to compete. My dad was so competitive. It was hilarious. I remember one time I was playing golf with my dad. And we're playing in Eugene, Oregon. It's like in January. It's kind of cold, being a cold spell there in Eugene. And all the water traps were frozen. And so it's the ninth hole. We're playing nine because it's so cold. And it's a par three. It's about 110 yards. And there's water on the left side. And I'm like one stroke up on my dad. And I get up and I hit the ball. And it hits the water trap, but it's ice. And then it bounces up on the green. And my dad looks at me and he goes, that's two strokes. I go, what do you mean it's two strokes? He goes, should have been in the water. One in, one out, dude. That's how it is. I go, dad, it's on the green. Doesn't matter. Should have been in the water. You know how it is. Oh, he was so competitive. It was just hilarious. Another time... He got a brand new set of golf clubs, and, and brand new, it was a Nicholas set, and we were out in the backyard. That's back when the woods were actually made of wood, and so we had them all laid out. I was like 13, 14 years old, and I had like one of his irons out, and we're back there swinging these clubs, and somehow, you know how kids are, you just don't always think. I swung this golf club and hit his wood and took a chunk out of it, a little chunk, not very big. It's brand new. I mean, the box is right there, and he's looking at me like, and I'm just going, oh, wow, this is really bad. Okay. But my dad took some wood putty, and, and he puttied that little spot in, and then he, he painted it green. It was kind of the color of the wood, and you would never know that. But I'd be playing with him years later, 
And if he got up on the tee, and if he hit a slice, he would pick the club up and go, it's never been the same. That's the way he was. It always drove me crazy. He was so competitive. But, you know, I learned from that that you play to win. The goal of the Christian life is to win. So what are you aiming at in your Christian life? You know, so often I think we think the goal is to get to heaven. You know, we work so hard. We press on with the goal. I'm straining with all my might just to get to heaven. That's my goal, just to get there. But, you know, I I was looking that up this week. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heaven's not the goal. Heaven's the gift. We're guaranteed heaven if we're a believer. The goal of the Christian life, Paul clearly outlined what it was there in chapter 3, in verses 10 and 11. There he made this statement. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection the fellowship and sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so that somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The goal is to know Christ. The goal is to know his power, to know his suffering, to know his death, to know his resurrection. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness, is to become like him. You know, so often we get, as Christians, we get focused on so many things. We get focused on moral issues. We get focused on political issues. We get focused on, you know, all of these different issues. We get focused on doing this and doing that and all of these things. And we spend so much energy, so much time, so much money. And Paul simply says, listen, the goal of the Christian life is to grow into the maturity and the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. The goal is to be like him. The goal is to move in our sinful, fallen humanity through the filling of his Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ, in what we say, and how we act, and in what we do. So this morning, we've looked at three steps on making a New Year's resolution. Three steps that can help us in the new year in our spiritual life. So the question I want to leave with you this, with, uh, this, is this morning is this. What steps are you going to take in 2007? You know, I believe that God's spoken to us today, and I know you can't put all three into practice, but I really think as you go through a message and as I think it through and as I pray about it and study and write it out and think about all the things I might be able to say and encourage and all of those things, I'm always a firm believer that it's really God who speaks. And God speaks to each one of us in different ways. We all come in with different spiritual needs. But God is a God who uses his word to speak into our heart. So I I know that God has spoken to us today. And I really think what God's saying to us today is, hey, one of these I'm speaking to you about today. So maybe this morning he said to you, hey, never be satisfied with your present condition. Keep pressing on to maturity. Don't be satisfied where you're at today. Maybe you realize you've become stagnant. As you look back on 2006, you say, you know, I just didn't grow at all. I really didn't give it a great effort this year. And so maybe God's saying, hey, I'm not satisfied. Move on. Start off 2007, moving in the right direction. Maybe you're here today and God's saying, don't be a slave to your past. Break away from those chains that hold you back. In Hebrews 12, 1, Paul, I mean, could have been Paul. The writer said almost the same thing when he says, throw off everything that hinders us in this race we call the Christian life. So maybe this morning you say, you know, God, I need to come to you to forgiveness. 
I need to ask you to forgive me of my past so I can move on into the future and be set free. Or maybe you need to forgive others and set them free. Maybe they've wronged you and you've always held it against them. It's a great year to be free from that. Let it go and let God work through you and show you the future. Maybe step number three, stay focused on the prize. Like a horse with with blinders on so they're not sidetracked. Maybe you can just say, you know, Lord, I really want to grow into, into being like you. My goal this year is to mature in my, in my walk with Christ, that I might be more like him. That the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control that the Holy Spirit produces will be more evident in my life this year than it was last year. I'm a firm believer that the world, what the world needs to see and what Bend, Oregon needs to see is Christians who act like Christ. That's what they need to see. They're looking for it. That's what they want to find. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for this passage that Paul wrote to this church and wrote to us. I want to thank you for his ministry, his life, his example of what it is to continue to grow and to walk and to want to be closer to you each day. And Lord, I pray for myself and for each, each one here this morning that you would allow us the grace to move on in 2007 in our Christian life. Lord, for those that are just in a stagnant form, those that just haven't gone anywhere, I pray that you would just use this, your word today to encourage them to step out and start moving in their walk with you. Lord, for those that the past has been, Lord, I don't know everybody's situation, but you do. You know those things that hold us back those failures that maybe we've experienced, those sins that maybe we've even done, that we've not been able to forgive ourselves or to forgive others for. Lord, give us the grace through your Holy Spirit to forgive and to be set free, that we might be able to throw those things off that hold us back and move on. And Father, I pray that you would allow us the ability to stay focused on the future, to look forward to, to growing in our walk with Christ. Lord, I pray for Antioch Church as they look to move into 2007, just recently starting up, that you would give them a great year, help them to stay focused on their mission, to reach people for you, and as a church family, to grow into the image of Christ. Pray for Ken, Lord, and the staff. Let's pray that you would just use them in a mighty way this year, that this church being new would reach people here in Bend that other churches would not reach. Lord, I know that they will, and I know that you're going to be here for them. I pray your grace and your power upon them, Lord, in the new year. Lord, I want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his great love for us, for the great example of being totally selfless in giving his life for us on the cross. Thank you for that, Lord, as we head into the new year. In Jesus' name, amen.